0: Welcome to the Government Technology Insider Podcast, I'm your host, Matt Langan. In this episode, we are taking a closer look at how agencies are using automation tools to modernize the delivery of government services. Recently federal agencies have identified and experienced the benefit of using automation tools like artificial intelligence and machine learning to improve the delivery of citizen services. However, emerging technologies like generative AI present agencies with new challenges to navigate. While Generative AI raises red flags, when used within a best practices framework, it presents agencies with unique capabilities that can aid their efforts to modernize service delivery and continue to improve the customer experience. And for our conversation, I sat down with Kathleen Featheringham, who is Maximus's Vice President of AI for Federal Technology Consulting Services, and Clayton Davis, who is Maximus's Senior Director for AI for Federal. I hope you enjoy our conversation today. And uh, Kathleen and Clayton, thanks for joining us today.
1: Great. Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, great to have you both. And let's really dive in. So before we actually truly dive into our conversation today and drawing a distinction between the AI solutions currently in use and, of course, generative AI, can you explain the differences between these two types of technologies? And we'll go with Clayton on this one. Sure.
2: So there's a few differences, but I think training burden is probably the most important one for your listeners. Um, I'm sure they're all aware that when we build AI models, it takes a whole lot of data and it takes a whole lot of labels, which means there's a whole lot of labor cost, right? Mm-hmm. And that's true for the current generation of AI. If you think, uh, you know, everyone's kind of familiar with Netflix, for example, um, you know, you sit down and you rate thumbs up or thumbs down the movies, and then Netflix tells you, hey, you might like this movie as well. But Netflix is really only able to do that because it's got a massive database of all of your ratings for those thumbs up and thumbs down, as well as millions of other subscribers, um, you know, interest in, in movies. What's actually happening under the hood is that it's using those thumbs up, thumbs down labels that you're giving it to train up a uh, a model. And that takes a lot of resources, um, as well as goodwill on your part, right? To provide those labels in order to supervise the model's development. Generative AI is a little bit different in that it doesn't really care about the feedback mechanisms or or any labels in particular that you or I or anyone else would kind of give to it. Generative AI, um, especially when we're talking about large language models, what they're interested in doing is understanding how language works. And they do that um, kind of in the same way you or I would. They read Wikipedia articles, books, um, those sorts of things. And then they try to figure out what kind of the next word is going to be in a sentence along the way, right? And that allows them to self-supervise. That allows them to learn without having to have a label um, associated with any particular update that they're trying to make to the model, right? Right. And that ability, that ability to learn without labels or the associated labor costs, is really what separates kind of the the AI of today from the generative AI that's going to be coming along
0: um, here in the near future. That's great. Thanks, Clayton. Great insights there. So while the introduction of generative AI has definitely raised concerns. I mean, it's clear that tools like ChatGPT are gradually becoming integrated into agency workflows. So with this in mind, how should agencies proactively prepare to address the potential challenge presented by generative AI? And we'll go with Kathleen on this one.
1: Great. Thank you. So I think, you know, even before you get into what is, you know, the distinct challenges for, you know, generative AI and bringing it in there's like an important thing to remember and it's why why do you need ai what are you using it for and that's really about defining what is the outcome that you're trying to achieve so whether it's big federal agencies and it being you know what's the mission needs what's the specifics or a business you name it or just as an individual like what what are you actually trying to do because that then helps you define what type of solution, what type of AI. So let's say generative AI is appropriate for those cases. You always gotta keep coming back to what is the outcomes that you want to achieve to make sure that it it resonates with it. So that's that's probably one of the first and foremost is, you know, using AI for just being the sake of AI is not as beneficial and there are risks for it as opposed to really understanding the use case, the needs and that. So. If Then from there, as Clayton kind of explained, it's not necessarily having a constrained set of parameters when you're talking about generative, because it's going through lots of things and it's trying to, you know, ideally from statistics, predict what would be the next sets of words or things that would be there or stuff that's open. So when you think about it, that can pose some interesting paradigms. So if you're using some type of generative tool and you're using it out on the open internet, that means that any of the things, especially the way some of the um, privacy things are set up, is that your data, while you may just be putting it in, it actually may be put into the, the repository of training data. So that has an issue there of thinking about how do you protect and keep your specific data to your actual individual organization and needs. So that's one. The other one is, and that's why I keep going back to what are you actually trying to do and what is the workflow, really understanding what the actual workflows are, because sometimes you can introduce it and you may think it may take on or change some parts of the workflow without really testing it out. So there's been a lot of stuff in, you know, the news about people using generative AI and it creating, you know, fake things. So what I would say is, again, if you make sure that you're working for it in the workflow, let's say, you know, I think there was, there was a case about a, a lawyer using it to create a brief, and it was supposed that it was hallucinating cases that didn't exist. If you think about the workflow from start to finish, let's say take out AI from the beginning, would you have a brand new um, individual or employee at a law firm, would you have them write a brief, let's say they haven't even passed the bar yet, write a brief and just go ahead and hand it in? You probably wouldn't. Most would actually go through, fact check it, um, make sure that it's representative of the argument and the cases that are appropriate for this and go all the way through. So that has its risk because sometimes, while we tend to go from extremes of trust or not trust, there are many cases where people instantly just go to thinking that, you know, some really smart people created this, therefore it's probably correct. So that's one of the other big concerns is people understanding that as it evolves, there is a role to play very heavily for humans in terms of understanding how it should be used, what specific things. That also can be the case, let's say you've brought um, a version of a generative model inside your enterprise. It doesn't have the privacy issues because all the appropriate security has been set up and what data it will go to, but it's pulling from the data that you have. So if there is data missing that let's say is in your head or you know about, but you don't have it going against that, it may not pull from that. And so, again, this is thinking about how and where it's going to be put in and then what are the bigger facets. And I'd say the kind of three key areas for the bigger facets of thinking about it and being proactive is really about the actual people side of it, the technology side of it, and then the overall processes, including workflow, you name
0: it, all of the things that would be appropriate. Great insights there, Kathleen. And as a a follow-up question to both of you is, how can agencies leverage these tools to enhance their service delivery and, of course, customer experience? CX is really a big topic these days. And uh, we'll start with Clayton. Yeah, I think there's a lot of promise here, right? As as long as you are, like
2: Kathleen said, using AI um, as a tool and kind of appropriately where it's going to add value. AI is really good at repetitive tasks and humans are typically, they're pretty good at critical thinking. Um, And so I see generative AI as a way to continue to kind of take the the root um, repetitive tasks that don't really require a lot of critical thinking Um, and to kind of automate them so that agency personnel can focus on, um, can focus on like the larger hurdles at the agency or the items at the agency that require more, um, more sort of human cognitive capacity um, than just a, uh, you know, a form submission, for example, right? So you could think of in the short term, imagining situations in which generative AI is used to help do things like summarize a complex set of instructions for people as they're filling out government forms or providing some sort of like semantic search so that a citizen or a government. Partner trying to search through uh, search through agency records can get back results that match the meaning of what they're asking for, not just necessarily the keywords that went into the search box. Right. Um, in the next few years, you can think about this evolving uh, into reliable Gen AI powered chatbots. Um, that are able to, you know, look at policy documents, understand those policy documents, and then have complex interactions with citizens or government partners um, based upon the chatbot's understanding of the policies, right? These are things that Um, You know, just a couple of years ago, seemed like they weren't even going to be possible. And now it seems like on the next couple of year time, uh, time horizon, you're going to have the ability to really have um, significant interactions with uh, with AI systems and government agencies are going to be able to benefit from this because all of the things that we just talked about are going to make it easier for citizens and government partners to get the information that they need in a way that today, at best, um, would be on a, a pretty delayed time frame
0: if they were able to get the information at all. That's great, thanks, Clayton. Kathleen, anything to add to that one?
1: Yeah, a couple quick things to kind of add and build upon what you know Clayton was saying. Really thinking about some of the you know customer experience and the delivery. There's a lot of times where us as humans just you know. We need a quick answer. We know it's simple to find. We just can't find like you know what we're specifically looking on. So the idea of being able to you know leverage um, an AI type of tool, whether it's a chatbot or something else, just to be able to look something up, get the quick answer. You know, there's a lot of times where I'd actually be happy to not actually have to interact with a human. And it's not to say it's. That's bad, but, you know, a lot of the times you go with like social protocols and things like that. I just need a quick answer. So if I'm able to be able to get, you know, and ascertain the quick information, whether, you know, it's a phone number, a process, a form really quickly without having to disturb others or do other things, that's a benefit to me. That's something I can do. And nothing's worse than when you get, you call in or he says, okay, here's what the wait time's gonna be. And you're like, oh, but I just, it's so, such a simple question, right? But what's the flip side of that? The flip side of that is now when I have like really complex problems or things that I'm trying to do. If somebody actually has more time to spend with me and help me figure out what are those issues because they're not bogged down on some of the, as you know, Clayton mentioned, the road, the routine types of things, that really enhances it. That enhances what what it is that I can do, what I need, and it's constantly improving. And that's the parts with some of these generative tools. You know, as you hear a lot about like prompt engineering really that's, you know, people with critical thinking, you know, putting in the right prompts to return that. And so as those better prompts get put in, better results will keep coming out. And so that is really thinking about that evolving process. It's going to just lend time, time and back, whether it's time back or giving more time to be able to do a lot of the complex things so i can't tell you how many times we talked to people over the years where it said things like okay this is the part of my job that i have to do to actually do my real job so thinking about it as agencies are going to you know start to help put this in get it in and have it be appreciated and used and as we mentioned earlier really understanding those workflows if you get to the part of the workflows that is that part where they Say I have to do this to do my real job, those are great places to start. It's value add. But there's one other thing that I would mention that um, is really, really critical. There is so much out there right now on what AI is or might be or could be that coming to a common understanding is really kind of critical. And sometimes it's just demystifying, demystifying what it is, what it isn't. So for example, You know, when we're introducing new technologies and things like that, having a baseline of, you know, what's appropriate to be used for, what is it, what does it mean, you know, agreements uh, and working through before, let's say, you give access to these types of tools within your organization. It doesn't have to be some cumbersome, massive training, but it's more about, like, here, here's what it's good. How do you try it out? How do you give kind of a safe space to try it out? And what would be examples to try out so that people can start to, essentially kind of get over that fear of what they think it is. You know, I read a great article this morning and it was talking about like, why did chat GPT come out in the U.S. versus some other countries? And one of it is about, you know, the uh, inquisitive nature and culture of people in the U.S. And I think that's the parts that we need to really help embrace that further, meaning how do we engineer it in the safe boundaries where they can try things out and see what it's all about, but have some safeguards in there to make sure that in our workflows and when it really matters and the criticality of it matters that we are accounting for that part that it really is still evolving.
0: That's great. You know, it's clear that leveraging generative AI for improved service delivery and customer or really citizen experience is certainly a compelling concept as we discussed today. And as we near the end of this discussion, Do you all have any final insights or thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? And we'll start with Kathleen.
1: Yeah, I I think it's just be curious, you know, think and embrace that inherent part of what it is to be human and try it out. But again, try it out with some understanding and some safeguards, especially for big organizations. Think about how do I get to yes? Meaning yes of I want to use it and want to enable it, not no but how do I get to yes, but how do I get to yes safely and responsibly?
2: Yeah, I think just kind of piggybacking on what Kathleen was saying there about how do you get to yes. um, You know, if you're thinking about implementing um, Gen AI at your organization, you wanna make sure that you've got some trusted experts in the room. Right. That way as you're going through and, and putting together your plan of how you're going to give access to Gen AI, to your staff or how you're going to use it in, in your tool chains and in your, your existing processes, you can make sure that um, the kind of everyone's expectations and, and the infrastructure are, uh, are all in place. Everyone's expectations are met. And the infrastructure is in place. Gen AI is incredibly powerful, but it's powerful because it's kind of fundamentally changing uh, the way that we rely on algorithms in our day-to-day tasks. Right, But that can be complicated to getting to, to get to work correctly. So it's really important that as you set out uh, at your agency to go ahead and, and add Gen AI
0: to your toolkit that everybody's on the same page. And thank you, Kathleen and Clayton, for joining us today. And big thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you're interested in staying up to date on the best practices and proven strategies for leveraging innovative technologies in federal, state, and local government, be sure to visit governmenttechnologyinsider.com. I'm your host, Matt Langan, and until next time, so long.